the screen for you behind me. I want to welcome uh, again all of uh, the visitors that are with us this morning. We don't take your presence lightly. We know you could have been in one of many churches in the Naperville area, but you have chosen the best one. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> and we are glad you are here. We love preaching through God's word, and we pray today that something proclaimed would warm your heart and teach you more about the Christ in which we serve. So Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 is our passage. title of our message today is this, the danger of having a me-first ministry. The danger of a me-first ministry. Subtitle for you, A Struggle with Selfishness. A Struggle with Selfishness. Our text comes from Luke 9, verse 46. Then a dispute arose among them as to which one of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, he took a little child. And he set him by him. And he said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, he will be great. Amen. RCC, have you ever noticed how dangerous it is to be selfish? Have you ever noticed or considered the power of selfishness? See, to be selfish is to ignore others and is to put oneself before any and everyone. The disciples in our text today, they had a me first problem. They had a selfish problem. They had a I want to be greater than you problem. And they were actually arguing about who they were, how great they were, who others were, and how insufficient Others were in comparison to themselves. This was the church. And they were with Jesus. And instead of being true disciples, learning from Jesus, they were jockeying to see who was going to be the greatest in their crowd. They missed it. They completely missed the point of service and being called to follow Jesus. I believe it was the great D.L. Moody who said, I believe firmly, Angelus, that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that's contrary to God's law, that the Holy Spirit will then fill every corner of our hearts. But if we're full of pride, conceit, ambition, and the world, then there's no room for the Spirit of God. Angelus, we must be emptied before we can be filled. 
You know what, family? I believe that D.L. Moody was right. God can't fill a vessel for service if it only wants to be filled so it can stay filled. God needs a vessel who will say, fill me up and then pour me out. Did you catch it? See, Jesus, in our text today, is in the second year of his earthly ministry. And the disciples are being exposed in this text to the call and the commission of God. They've seen miracles done by him. For example, eyes have been opened. Leprosy has been removed. Devils have been evicted. The sick have been cured. The lame have been raised to walk again. Ministry is happening right in their eyes and under their noses. Crowds are flocking all around to hear Jesus. His name has become a household word. And instead of learning more that there was to know about Christ, each one of them find themselves trying to figure out how they can run the show, or how they can be in charge. Here it is. They all have egos, and they all have their own kingdom views and kingdom plans. And for them, they were striving to see who was going to be the next brother to be in charge. Here's what I've learned in this passage. It's a dangerous thing to have a me first ministry as a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, a me first ministry will always put God and others second. A me first ministry will always only glorify your name instead of God's name. A me first ministry doesn't care about others. It uses others to exalt oneself. A me first ministry, it may have God-like tendencies, but sin is the one that really rules the throne. A me first ministry only looks out for itself, but it does it in the name of helping others. Beloved, The disciples of Jesus are living right here in this passage, and they are only thinking about themselves. And there are three things I like to look at today as a family with you as we study about what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ, a Christ-like community of believers, a gospel community that's doing life with each other. There are three things. Number one, today let's study the disciples' egos the disciples' examples, and the disciples' exhortation. Now, are y'all going to help me preach today? Amen. All right. Then help me lean in. I know this is a tough subject, but it will help us. It will stretch us. It will grow us. It will remind us of who we are and what God has called us to be as his sons and daughters in the kingdom. The Bible says in verse 46, Then a dispute arose, an argument, and it arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them 
would be the greatest. Beloved, when we come to this portion of the text, here we get to see Dr. Luke inform us that there was a problem among the brothers. An argument broke out among them. And it was an argument, Sister Peggy, about which one of them was going to be on top. It was an argument about which man was the baddest of them all, which was the alpha dog in the group, who was going to really be in place to lead this ministry. They were, as I would use this term in my neighborhood, ego tripping. There was a clash among them over what they thought about themselves. Secondly, Luke informs us or shines the light on three things in this passage. One, their human nature. Two, their egos. And three, their inability to see how detrimental this attitude was to the kingdom that Jesus had come to establish. Their egos would cause them to act in a fallen and a sinful way instead of a godly way. Beloved, when we see this behavior, we can also look at it in the disciples of today, modern-day disciples of today. When you look at the church around the world today, we can see this is how fights ensue between denominations, between cultures, between the body of Christ, egos. And when this happens, when this happens in churches, it's usually because personalities want to be in charge instead of, instead of letting God be the one who calls the shots. Because they had an ego problem. Each one of them got offended at their brother. And none of them could let the sin of their brother go. None of them could forgive the next man. You see, sin in the heart cause sin to come out of the mouth. Let me say that again. Sin in the heart will cause sin to come out of the mouth. They couldn't hold their peace. They just had to tell the other man what they thought and what they felt. And that's why they argued about who was going to be the greatest. And here's what I learned. My ego is never more challenged than when somebody offends me. I'm talking from the first person experience there, but I know I'm not the only one in the room. See, the true test of Christian maturity is when somebody offends you or disrespect you and you respond the right way. That's the true test. These men in this passage were disrespecting one another by declaring that they were greater than the next one. At first when I read this passage, brothers and sisters, I thought, well, maybe this was a competition problem because most men are competitive. It's in our nature is what we do. But then I looked again at the text and none of them were doing anything or any particular activity. So it wasn't about competition. It was about ego and what the next person thought about themselves and how they ranked themselves against their brother. Don't raise your hand here, but have you ever sized up somebody who was in the room with you? 
the way they looked, the way they dressed, what they had on compared to what you had on, what they drove up in compared to what you, don't, don't, don't look around, keep looking up here, all right? You know what that is? That's a pride problem. And pride problems are sin problems and satanic distractions. Here's my argument. That was the same problem Lucifer had when he got kicked out of heaven. He had a pride problem. One great theologian said, you can really trace every sin in the human heart back to pride. Same problem that Lucifer got kicked out with is the one he tempts us with every day. Lastly, what I learned in this passage is that they had the inability to see what Jesus was doing in the earth and how he had brought them together to teach them to do what he was doing. And because they had this inability, they were not able to see what Christ was trying to get them to be like, to look like, and to act like. All of that great teaching, all of that great ministry, and all they got out of that was how I can be great, not how I can emulate what God is asking of me in the earth. You know what I think, family? I think sometimes... This is where we are today. I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we can get so focused on our own ministry status, our own life and follower status, that we think ministry is really about us. Sometimes we forget Jesus has called us to be disciples. Not so we can have a me-first ministry, but that we can have a him-first ministry. Can I get an amen through there? The disciples had allowed for themselves in this passage to be deceived and have allowed for the pride of life to enter their hearts and their heads. And now they believe that they should be the greatest in the kingdom. What a troubling text. But I'm so glad Luke did not write this great book without putting it in there. Because we can see ourselves, if we're honest today, how pride comes in as a husband, as a wife, as a son or a daughter, a grandchild, a brother or sister, a leader in the community. You're not exempt from pride. I know you look good. You smell good. You're all that. But listen, watch out for pride. It will derail what God wants to do in your heart. We've looked at the disciples Egos. Let me show you now the disciples' example. This is powerful. This verse really it captured me this week. Uh, Brother David, the, the Bible says in verse 47, and Jesus, perceiving their thought of their heart, he took a little child and said it by him, said him by him. Beloved, when you come to this portion of the text, you get to see a divine insight that's powerful for you to know this week as you go into the world as a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus perceived the thoughts of their hearts, not that he heard them. Nobody said what they were thinking out loud. 
But because they were in the room with Christ, he caught their thoughts without them ever saying a word. This is what arrested me today. Jesus understood what they were feeling, thinking, and being tempted with. He knew what um, he knew what it was that was wrong with his disciples. He knew without them saying one word that something bad was going on in their hearts and in their heads. Here's what I want you to know. I want to remind you today that God knows everything about you. He knows what you're thinking without you even saying it. He knows what you are thinking and how you relate to your brothers and your sisters. God knows your heart. He knows when your heart ain't right. He knows when you're ego tripping. God knows when you're about to hurt the body of Christ with your attitude and a me first agenda. He's God. There is nothing hidden from his eyes. Jesus was present then just like he's present now. Those thoughts you got in your head now about this sermon, God already know. Come on, laugh or say amen or ouch or something. Say ouch right around through there. He sees the me first mentality. And guess what he does? He takes note of it. If you're like me, I'm in my study, I went, oh my God. (laughs) See, according to this passage, when he perceived their thoughts, He gave them a lesson that they would never forget. Look at the text with me. Stay in there real good. He goes while they're thinking that, and he grabs a little child. Come, sis. Be my little. Be my example today. He grabs a little child, and he puts the child right in the middle of their thoughts. Has God ever did that to you? You were thinking something, and he brought an example right in front of you. They were just like you, looking around like, what is Jesus doing? How come he has this kid, not just your kid, (laughs) in the middle of this crowd? Stay with me. Thank you, sis. (laughs) Let's give her a hand. He brings a little child into the inner circle. And then guess what he does? He uses their distraction as a teaching moment. Stay with me, beloved. Stay with me this morning. He uses someone who didn't have an ego yet. He takes a child who didn't have any ambition, no desire for fame, no need to be seen, or didn't desire the credit. And he initiates a new standard for what greatness looks like from heaven's perspective. Look at the last little detail in that verse. He sets the child, don't miss this or read the text too fast, next to him. See, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest, who was going to be next to him. Jesus brings the child and places the child right there. See, in doing this, guess what he was saying, RCC, to his disciples? You guys are ego-tripping about who's going to be next to me, but you've forgotten that I choose (laughs) who's going to be next to me. I choose 
what the standard is going to be. Not you, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Andrew. I choose what the standard of greatness looks like. We need to remember that today, family. Remember what, pastor? Promotion in ministry comes from God, by God, for God, when God says it's time. Jesus here in this passage, guess what he's teaching us? He's teaching us what discipleship looks like. This is important. See group leaders. Lean in right here. Watch this. Discipleship is about constant teaching. It's not a one meeting a month, a week, or whatever where you share a lesson. No, it is constantly. It's caught and it's taught. It's modeling. It's it's putting up with immaturity. And all the parents said amen. Parents who are raising young people, it's the perfect picture of discipleship. It is not a, a one and done event. You know, even when they get grown and gone, ask Sharon, she'll tell you, we've got three men we're still discipling. This is what I learned in this passage. Discipleship is using every moment as a teaching moment. Discipleship, Sister Stella, is helping people who are struggling to overcome their their sinful ways. They never make it, daughter. We never arrive until Jesus comes. That's why we're always discipling each other. Discipleship is being patient enough to deal with the me-first attitude and a me-first outlook on life, a me-first outlook in life. And a me first outlook for life. So here's the question. This is hard. Here's the question. How are you doing with making disciples today? How are you doing at being discipled? Are you being discipled by someone? Are you discipling someone? How are you handling the me first attitude? Are you modeling the Christ-like posture in this selfish, greed-driven, privilege-obsessed, and I demand my rights culture? Jesus is teaching us how to deal with that as he's working with these disciples. What kind of example are you and I in our communities, on our jobs, in our neighborhoods. Oh, beloved, be careful of the me first agenda. Be careful of I'm the greatest mindset. Be careful of the desire to rule over people. The me first ministry is a trap and it's a pitfall into pride. And pride comes before the fall. Jesus is teaching us in this passage That the unassuming mind is the mind to have. What do you mean, Wilson? Be childlike is what he's saying when it comes to serving others. See, not a selfish child, but a humble child. Yeah, not a privileged child, but a child who is submissive to him and just desires to be with him. 
Jesus is giving the disciples here the right example to have when they're dealing with each other and dealing with a fallen world. We've looked at the disciples' egos. We've looked at the disciples' example. Let me show you now the disciples' exhortation, and I pray that you will be encouraged in this verse. I know I was when I read it. After Jesus brought the child and set the the young baby next to him, he said these words to the disciples. He says, disciples, whoever receives me, or whoever receives this little child, rather, in my name, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. Thank you for listening, RCC. Thank you for being a sweet church. When we come to this final portion of the text, the Spirit of God allows for you and I to see a great exhortation for the disciples to embrace and to hold on to as they prepare themselves to live for God in a fallen world. Listen to what he says, family. Whoever receives this little child in my name, they receive me. First of all, he uses the child as a gift to be valued and as a gift to be served and honored on behalf of himself. Why? I'm so glad you asked. In the Middle Eastern culture, men would have not valued the presence of children. Children at that day and time was to be seen and not heard. So when Jesus takes this baby and brings him in front of all of these big burly men, he correlates greatness with receiving those who everyone else has written off. Can I teach some more right here? The word received in this passage is written four times in this one verse. And every time it's used, it means to welcome someone. Here it is. He's literally saying, whoever welcomes the smallest insignificant person in my name, they welcome me. And I'm the greatest personality in the universe. And whoever welcomes me, he says, they welcome my father, my Abba, who sent me. You see the significance in this calling now? Jesus says, yes. If you welcome those who I've created in my image, you're doing something great. Did you know that every human being, white, black, brown, or orange, has been created in the image of God? And to not accept one of them is to reject the one who created them in his image. I'm so happy for this harvest fest and trunk or treat. Really, we talk about candy, but you know what we're really doing? 
Say, Naperville, you've been created in the image of God, and we welcome you to our church community. What a ministry. What an opportunity for you to be the hands and feet of Christ on a holiday that the world celebrates to come out of their shadows, to come out of their brokenness, to come out of their darkness, to see you as a church. They know we're a church when they show up. But do we know we're the church when they show up? If you receive those that I've created, he says, you're receiving me. Uh, Here it is. And I'm coming down. If you want to be great, bow down and become small. If you want to be great, then get low and serve others. If you want to be great, don't seek to be served, but serve those who are lower than yourselves. If you want to be great, don't reject people, but welcome them. To follow me. Can I tell you today, family, that this flies in the face of the me first agenda? This is totally against the me first ministry. This formational idea is not the American way. I said it. I said it from the pulpit. I said it. Listen, the kingdom agenda does not make America great again. No, the heaven proclaims for us to be servants. And if we're going to be servants first, we must serve first. I lost my amens right through there. This is heaven's way, not man's way. This is the way of the master. And this is the way to fight against a me first ministry. Jesus says, For he who is least among you will be great. In other words, if you want to be the greatest of all, become the least of all. If you want to be somebody important, become somebody insignificant. If you want to be a big shot, become a small player. If you really want to do big things, serve little people. Whatever you do, don't be too big to do small things. And don't be too big that you get stuck in a me first mentality. Story is told about a tragedy that happened at the Black Sea in 1986. Two amazing large ships off the coast of Russia were sailing across the Black Sea in the same direction at the same time. When a crisis arose between the captains on both ships, both ships were heading toward each other and neither one of them wanted to yield to the right of way. Storytellers recording the tragedy says Wilson, it wasn't a technological problem or radar malfunction or even thick fog. The problem was human stubbornness. A me first problem. 
Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence and both could have steered clear. But according to the reports, neither captain wanted to give to the other one sailing in their direction. Why? They were too proud to yield. Have you ever seen that in marriage? You ever seen that in parental and children's relationships? You're too proud to yield. And as a result, danger and calamity will wreck the family. That's what happened. And by the time these two captains come to their senses, it was too late. They not only destroyed their own lives, they destroyed the lives of everyone that was on board their crafts. What a tragedy. You see, they could have saved lives. Instead, they destroyed lives. I got to leave you now. But Jesus on that day, he gave them a great example. The greatest example they would ever need to be true followers of Jesus Christ. After that meeting, he didn't stop modeling the way. He continued to walk with them in his own sea group to share with them what true discipleship looks like. Jesus, the most incredible personality in the universe, went to Calvary's cross. And on the way to the cross, he modeled what it looked like to be great on the Father's agenda. And I was writing this this story, my brothers and sisters, this sermon, and I thought about something. Jesus was the greatest man there ever was, Maria. He was the richest because he owns it all. He was the most powerful because he created it all. He was the most popular because nobody in human history has ever done what he has done. You might as well call Jesus the goat of humanity, the greatest of all time. He holds the world record for living the longest. He's the alpha and what? I can't hear you. Omega. Yeah. He created the solar system and put it in place and then commanded the galaxies to dwell where they've never been before. He created man in his own image and then became the thing he created. He humbled himself and became little in his own sight so that he himself would walk the dusty streets of Palestine in a fallen world. He served his own creation when his creation should have been serving him. He died for the sins of the world and then created his own sacrificial offering to take in place of your sins and mine to satisfy his own requirement for holy atonement. (laughs) Who do you know is greater than that? He went into the grave, took the sting out of death, victory over the grave, rose back to life. All that disciples all that the disciples may be reconciled back to him and may learn what true discipleship looks like. I'm through preaching. 
it's so very important that we stay in these Gospels, that we learn what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a real follower in Gospel community. The call is great, and he's with us. So let's embrace the two challenges for this next month. Let's get in small groups to encourage one another, to disciple one another, to build one another, and let's engage in community outreach to embrace those who have the image of God on them and to share this good news with them as well. And then thirdly, let's watch our hearts in community. Let's not be in competition about who's the greatest, who can do this, or who can do that. Why? That God may be pleased with what he desires in his community. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.